Good morning. Welcome to Youngstown Baptist Church English Sunday School class for July 31st, 2022. The month is almost over. We're headed toward the end of the year. And in our study of biblical creationism, we are in Unit 6, looking up at evidence from the heavens. <clears throat> in this sixth lesson now of uh, Unit 6, I want to continue our discussion from last week about how the Earth is unique among all the planets in the known universe, and elaborate a little bit about how unique our situation is a little more distant from our Earth, but that, like we've spoken before, life in our universe is not common, and it does not occur naturally. We are here as a result of special creation, and that just as the Genesis account. Uh, states and that biblical creation is the only <clears throat> logical explanation for the evidence we see in our universe. Just by way of introduction, the Bible says in Psalm 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. This beautiful statement by the psalmist indicates one of the purposes, one of the many purposes, of the created universe. Uh, the universe reveals the majesty of its creator. And, of course, God's glory can be seen in many different aspects of creation, not just the heavens. We've spent the last year looking at all the ways that God's creation speaks to his majesty. We've discussed the complexity and the intricacy of living cells. We've discussed the complexity and the diversity of all life on earth. <clears throat> We've talked about the mathematical precision of the laws of physics and chemistry. <clears throat> and there are lots of other um, uh, indicators that of God's indescribable, incomprehensible creativity, intelligence, and power. But why does the Bible signif significantly single out the heavens as declaring the glory of God? Probably, perhaps, the heavens declare God's glory in a special way or in a, to a greater extent than other parts of his creation. We have focused on how the very small things are indicative of the character of God, right? The great detail that God has put into the most minuscule things, that it takes us a long time of study and technological advancement to discover. And the more we discover about the very small things, the more complex we see that life really is. But in the, to the different spectrum, the greater we can advance to study the heavens, the more it continues to declare the glory and power of our Creator. It may be that the starry universe was specially designed for the purpose of declaring God's glory to us, because the universe has incredible beauty. <clears throat> this alone would be sufficient reason to praise God for His creation, but not only did God make the universe beautiful, He made it unimaginably large unimaginably large. The range of scales out into the universe is staggering. The universe is, uh, contains objects of incredible size that we can't even make the, the, the comparison in our mind. It doesn't, it doesn't compute. And there are mass, um, masses of things that are so heavy we, we can't comprehend it. Distances that we can't really even calculate, let alone grasp. But when we consider the power of the Lord who had to make all of this and the way that he says he did it, we can't help but feel humbled. And that is part of the reason 
for the stars in the heavens and the host of heaven, right, is to be humbled by God. That our little speck in this little solar system, in this little galaxy, among hundreds of billions of other galaxies, who is man? How does someone like Adolf Hitler get to stand up and claim that he's God? Right? He can't even see it, let alone have brought it to be. Okay, so the, the exploring the size and the beauty of the universe, just like explore, exploring the minuscule and complexity of life, both of those things should give us an appreciation of the majesty of our Creator. But we focused on the stars a few weeks ago. We focused on Earth and the planets last week. So let's look at the two other important celestial bodies mentioned in Scripture. The Bible speaks of the lesser and the greater lights that were created on day four. And those are the moon and the sun. So the more we learn about our solar system, the more we recognize our moon's uniqueness. The, uh, the moon is the Earth's only natural satellite. So a satellite is the term of anything that orbits around another body. So our moon is a satellite. Technically, Earth is a satellite of the sun as it orbits, but it's classified as a planet because of other things. So a general term of a satellite is just anything that orbits around a body with mass and gravity. We put satellites, artificial man-made satellites, out in the, into low and high orbits to circle the Earth, and though we use those for lots of different things, for imaging, for uh, GPS signals, for cell phone um, things, we, for uh, satellite internet and, and TV, right? We, so we have a lot of things, many, many, many man-made satellites orbiting the Earth, but this is the only natural satellite orbiting the Earth. Uh, Mercury and Venus have no satellites, no moons, as we would say colloquially, and Mars has two, but they're very small. The giant gas planets, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune, have many, many satellites, like an excess of 150, and we're still discovering more. But the, most of those satellites, um, and, and all of the recently discovered ones, are very small compared to our moon. Um, why did God make our moon so unique? Since the first night that Adam had the chance to stare up into the heavens at the moon, he must have marveled at this lesser light, how it illuminated uh, otherwise dark nights. And in recent times, astronomers have discovered other benefits of the moon, which help to regulate living conditions here on the Earth. It's not just there as a pretty thing to look at at night. It's not an accident, and it's not a leftover um, you know, sign of, of, of a former problem. It's not just an asteroid that we got kicked off and got stuck in orbit or any of these other number of definitions. As far as we know, there is no other planet in the known universe that has such a perfectly matched, purposeful satellite as the moon to the Earth. And here's just a few facts about it. The moon is the nearest celestial body to the Earth. It is approximately 2,100 miles in diameter, which is roughly the size of the continental United States. So the distance of the moon in its average orbit, because the orbit changes as it gets around, is about 240,000 miles or 380,000 kilometers from the Earth. 
And on the one hand, you would think, oh, that's a tremendous distance away, but some of our cars have that much mileage on them. <laughs> from, from less than 20 years of driving. On the other hand, it's, it's not so far to be totally incomprehensible. Um, the moon orbits the Earth in roughly a circular path. And it takes about a month from start to finish for the moon to circle the Earth. And that's where we get the idea of a month. Right? The Bible says in Genesis 1.14 that the the, the celestial bodies were for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years, and they mark the passage of time. And the moon does just that. It continually orbits the Earth every month with clockwork precision to the point that this was the first usage, the moon, not the sun, for the passage of time, for calendars, and for, and for seasons. And the Jewish uh, culture still uses the lunar calendar as opposed to a solar calendar, like we developed from Babylon and, and uh, Rome. As the lesser light created on day four, the moon was designed to rule the night, according to scripture in Genesis 1.16. Indeed, the moon does rule the night. It outshines every other nighttime celestial object. In fact, when the moon is out and full, it has a tendency to wash out most of the other stars and astronomical objects that we could see and it makes them difficult to see with the naked eye. Um, this effect is particularly evident when, near, when the moon is near its full face. Obviously not when it's in a new moon, right? There's not much to see there. Uh, but at, the, at that time, the moon is measurably 2,500 times brighter than any other object in the sky. And if you remember from last week, what is the second most, or the second brightest object in the sky? Venus. Venus, that's right. The planet Venus, the next closest celestial object to us, is the brightest star in the sky, right? A wandering star. But the moon is still 2,500 times brighter than that. When compared with the mass of the Earth, the moon is actually very large. Uh, while some of the satellites of Jupiter and Saturn are more massive than our moon, the, their comparative size to their planet is much, much smaller. So we can see in this, the size, comparative size, again, not distance from the sun, that's not to scale, but the comparative size of the Earth to the, to the moon. And then this is Titan, which is almost bigger than the Earth, compared to Saturn, is minuscule, right? So that it is the largest moon that we know of in scale to its planet, okay? When compared with the mass of the Earth, again, is large. Um, the, unlike most satellites in the solar system, which orbit about their equators, right? So Titan orbits about the equatorial plane of Saturn. Our moon does not orbit at our equatorial plane since we're tilted on the 23 and a half degree axis. It orbits about our orbital plane. So it stays between us and the sun. That's different than most every other planet that has a natural satellite. And it, it uh, stays on the same plane as we orbit the sun, and that, that provides different um, benefits. So there are two things we'll actually talk about that, that does the moon's relatively large size and unusual orbit are important uh, for, these, for several reasons, but these two are the easiest to, to kind of talk about right now. While the sun's gravity is the dominant force, you might have remembered this uh, photo from 
couple of lessons ago. Uh, the sun's gravity is the dominant force in the solar system, but all other objects with any kind of mass tug on each other as well, to a greater or lesser extent. And those smaller gravitational tugs are called perturbations by the experts. And perturbations, if left to themselves, would cause the Earth's axial, axial tilt, right? If, if left to itself just between the two bodies, would cause the Earth's axial tilt to, to waver between zero and 90 degrees. <laughs> And that would be untenable for life on Earth, because at the, at the tilt of 90 degrees, um, and during that change, both the tropic and the arctic zones of the Earth would have to expand and contract and expand and contract. And at 45 degrees, some of those areas, tropic and arctic, would be in both regions at the same time, at, in, in the rotation of the Earth in one revolution. So, absolutely, the, 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 the zones would be all messed up. But the to the, the regula sorry the regula regulation of the Earth's tilt is assisted by the moon, so that the perturbations of the other planets and, and other bodies in our solar system don't don't greatly affect our tilt. So that is one great purpose of the moon that God has designed it to be just the right distance, just the right size to balance the Earth. And the benefit of a tilt, if you don't know this, is to give seasons moderate seasons. When, when a planet is without a tilt, it tends to not to, to have either longer or uh, no seasons. Sometimes in a case of like Mercury, it can be close enough with that zero tilt to be in what's called synchronous orbit with the sun, which would put one um, in, in it, if, it, if its ro rotations are the same, right, it would put one side of the planet without that tilt in constant day and one side in constant night. So you have boiling points and below freezing points and no changes, right? But the tilt actually assists in those balanced uh, seasons and the moon is great for that. Another thing is the regulating tides as we talked about when we first saw this, how the tidal waters bulge due to the gravitational forces of the moon on the earth and then we talked about the recession of the moon because those tidal bulges, right, all that water pushing ahead of the moon is actually accelerating the moon with the Earth's gravitational force, so then it's moving away from us. But that tidal bulge, the, the actual regulation of the tide by the moon is what allows us to have sea life. Because if the moon wasn't causing the tide, it wouldn't be purifying the water Right, moving, moving oxygen in and out. It wouldn't be cleaning the coasts of, of everything that comes in and out there. I mean, human um, population and pollution aside, just regular um, storms and everything and what gets there, right? The, the movements of the water are very, very uh, functional and that fluctuation is designed uh, by God. So those, those are two easy things to look at. But if we move a little farther away, out into space from the moon, we can look at the greater light, and that is the sun created on day four. Not the light that existed on day one, two, and three when plants were made, but the, the, the light that God put for, again, signs and seasons to mark days and years and to give light upon the earth. It derives its energy. It's basically a glowing hot ball of hydrogen, right? Super hot. And it derives its energy from fusion of hydrogen to helium in the core, and then it gives off that energy. But 
it's an extremely stable and efficient source of energy. The, the sun is basically a stable, we don't understand how, hydrogen bomb, right? And the efficiency of the sun, um, it, it's so efficient that it, could prov it provides, it gives off whatever you want to say, it, it, but it creates energy, produces energy, exudes energy every second enough to power one billion major cities for a year. So the amount of energy God has already given us access to from the sun, right? If we could harness it and actually put it to work, would power one billion major cities. And when I say major cities, I mean population over 100,000 people, right? So major cities for a year. That's a lot of energy. And that's very efficient for such a size and, and, uh, and colored stars. We'll see that in a minute. But does anybody have any wild guess as to how many major cities we have on the planet right now with nearly 8 billion people? Wild guess. 700. 700, okay. Low ball. Anybody else? Just go nuts. What's the number? How many cities are there in the world? No idea? Okay. We don't even have 10,000. The estimates are somewhere between 4,700 and like 9,800. But it depends on your definitions and it depends on whether you go all cities or um, those with a population over 100,000. But there are not even 10,000 cities that qualify as cities. And that means that every city in the world could be powered by the sun with billions, <laughs> almost a billion, right, cities worth of power left over. And that's the, that's the energy it gives off every second. Incredibly efficient. But it reminds me of Paul's inspired words in Ephesians 3.20, because truly our God, oh sorry, here we go, cities around the world. I uh, forgot I had that map. found it right before I came to church. Um, all of that. Is, is less than 10,000 cities. And all of that power that we spend so much time trying to, trying to provide, maybe one day we'll figure out a way to get it straight from the sun because God already provided it. We'll see. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. I'm reminded of this because... If, a, if our God can create that star and give us a, that power, right? He's given us more power than we can ever harness or use from the sun to power our entire world. If we ever figure out how to access more of that power, it's already there. It's been provided since the first day, sorry, the fourth day of creation, right? It's been provided since nearly the beginning. More power than we would ever be able to use. And that applies to us because that same power works in us. We have more power from God than we could ever access or use. So the only thing that limits God's power working through us is our faith that he has it and that he can, he can do anything, right? So it's a great reminder there when we think about the sun. Another thing is that the sun is about 400 times more distant than the moon. Remarkably, and I say this remarkably because this is completely unique to our solar system, the sun is also 400 times larger than the moon. 
400 times more distant, 400 times larger. What that does is that makes them the same size in the sky. There's no naturalistic reason that that would be. You can't explain it. In fact, evolutionary astronomers call it the great coincidence <laughs> in astronomy textbooks. The great coincidence. It only seems like it was designed that way. But what does it do? Having this, they call that the angular size, right? So the actual linear size of the moon and the linear size of the sun are completely different, 400 times more different if you were to be on them measuring. But the angular size is from my point of view, right? The angular size of your head is this, right? And the angular size of the dishwasher is this. And they're the same, but they're not the same when you're standing next to it, right? So then what that does is if you stand up, your head blots out the dishwasher because they have the same angular size to me, right? That causes the, or that allows the ability to have eclipses, okay? So there's no other planet and its satellite that gets to see this total solar eclipse because their angular sizes are not equivalent. But why is this important? It's another sign from the heavens. It is another passage of time. And this distinct total solar eclipse is the only time we can study the corona or the crown of the sun. Because otherwise, we don't have an instrument that can look at it and measure it because the sun's energy is too bright. Right? But during a total solar eclipse, we can actually measure the, the corona and tell what effects that the magnetic field of the sun is having and on our magnetic field. Right? And radiation measurements and all kinds of things that we can only get at this time. And then also, nations throughout time have been gathering on Earth to see this. Right? Some worship it and some just stand in awe of God. Right? It just depends on the level of ignorance. But this is another wonderful sign that God has given us, unique to us in our situation, that doesn't exist anywhere else. So the sun, when we talk about the size, right, is in the top 1% of all known stars. I know I've seen lots of videos where they say, oh, our sun's puny compared to other stars. And then they give all these examples of all the way up to Betelgeuse, right, that's like 100 million times bigger than our, than our sun. But in the total known universe, Though we can list seven or eight examples that are bigger than ours, our sun is actually in the top of 1% for mass of all known stars in, in the universe. Um, it's a, a hundred times larger than the diameter of the Earth. And if you were to hollow it out, you could fit over, um, over a million uh, Earths inside the sun's uh, size, right? So this is the sun. This little dot here is the Earth. And this one that you might not even be able to see is the moon in relative size. Not relative distance, just relative size, right? So 100 times larger than the Earth, you could fit a million Earths inside of it. And at first, this might seem wasteful, right? All of this energy that's being given off that we can't do anything with just for the purpose, as Scripture says, to give light to the Earth, right? Why would God waste so much energy? Well, that's not, a, that's not at all what he did, okay? God didn't waste anything um, because God created that with just as much ease as he created everything else in the known universe. And Jeremiah 32, 17 tells us that nothing is too hard for him. It wasn't hard for God. He didn't waste any energy. He spoke it all into existence to show if he has enough power 
to create and sustain. Remember, we talked about two, two powers of God, the power to make and the power to maintain, right? The creative power and the sustaining power. If God has enough power to create all of that and sustain all of that, his power is limitless. Mm. Amen? So uh, the distance of the sun to, to the earth is 93 million miles. We can't even fathom that distance. If, if you were to drive 65 miles an hour on a highway without ever stopping for gas or a bathroom break, obviously impossible, it would take you 163 years to drive that long. <laughs> so you can't do it in your lifetime, right? Um, but relative to the other far-flung stars, the sun is super close to us because those distances are so vast. Another key observation about the sun is while it has many characteristics similar to other stars, wow, that's blown out. I should have done a different background color. Um, the Bible never refers to our sun as a star. The greater light, the lesser light, the sun and the moon, and then he made the stars also. The Bible never refers to the sun as a star. The Bible never refers to, we talked about this last year, the Bible never refers to plants as being living or having the breath of life. But the Bible never says plants die, it says they wither. Right? So the Bible makes a distinction between animals and, and humans as being living souls, living creatures, and plants, right? And it makes a distinction between the sun and all of the stars. Okay, so that, that's a very, uh, it suggests that the sun may have a very unique um, purpose and unique characteristics. The sun's composition is unusual compared to other stars. It has far less lithium than most of the other stars. And lithium isn't very common in stars anyway, but ours being among the most lithium poor is pretty significant. We don't know how, but we do know that it is significant. Uh, the sun has another property that's very important and unusual. It is stable. So the sun, our sun is here. Uh, there are oranger and redder, which are smaller stars, right, which burn a lot hotter um, and spin faster, right? Then ours is a yellow sun. There's le you know, less yellow toward the white, and then there's the white toward the blue spectrum, right? Obviously, this would be way too big and way too bright. We would never be able to open our eyes outside, and this would be way too hot. So there, there's a, this is not the life cycle of a star. This is just different stars that serve different purposes, okay? Um, the sun has a property of being stable. Most all of the other stars that could be solar stars, meaning that they have planets, uh, or satellites around them, orbiting around them, that we've ever discovered are variable stars. They get bright when they, when they have flares, and they get dim when they don't, right? There is not a stability in their fusion process, so they have these huge, these massive flares. And that is part of the reason we've never found an inhabitable planet, because there's not, even within the Goldilocks zone, of the right distance from a star relative to its size and energy, Right? Even within that zone, the variableness of the brightness of that sun giving off so much radiation and then so little radiation makes the imbalance of temperature and UV and everything else on that planet incapable to sustain life. So the stability of our sun makes it, it separates it from everything else. Secular scientists might respond that since we, we haven't observed the behavior of stars for very long, that we can't prove just how unusual our sun is with respect to long-term stable behavior. But it's safe to conclude that uh, all solar-type stars vary part of the time and are stable only part of the time. We live in a time of stability for our star, but we can't guess, that, uh, secular astronomers can't possibly believe that it's always been that way. 
because the evidence of everything else points that it couldn't be that way. Um, that, but that stability uh, throughout life's history on Earth is easy to explain for the sun and the Earth if they're young, like the Bible says, right? So if, if we believe the Bible that says that the universe is only about 6,000 years old, it's easy to understand why the sun is still stable, because it's not that old. Um, the, God has given us our sun as a means to reflect on the stability of his character, on the limitness, limitlessness of his power, and on the dependability of his ability to give and to sustain life. So the more we zoom in on the universe, uh, the more beautiful it becomes, the more we realize how truly vast and amazing it is, the more we magnify the universe, like with a magnifying glass, the more amazed we are by its beauty and complexity. The same is true of our Creator, the Creator of the entire universe. The more we magnify God, the more we realize how amazing He is. And it seems that God has constructed this universe to reflect that aspect of His character. Romans 1.20 indicates that many of the invisible things of God, the attributes of God, can be understood by the things that He has made. So it shouldn't surprise us that the universe is so incredible because it points to the incredible God that created it. And when we contemplate all that God created, it brings to mind Psalms 8, Psalm 8, 3 and 4. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? It is amazing that the God who created such a vast, unimaginably large, powerful universe that's beyond our comprehension, beyond our ability to search and study and, see, and seek out. We'll never find the end of it, right? That a God that can do all of that is concerned at all with me, with just one puny, inconsolable, <laughs> inconsiderate, ignorant human being, right? But scripture makes it very clear that human beings are very important to God. We are the pinnacle of his creation. We are special to his heart, and we are significant in this universe. And that is not arrogance. That is not conceit on behalf of believers. That is faith, and that is humble acceptance of us having a purpose in God's plan. And I hope that throughout this class, we've, we've helped each other realize that we are special to God, and we have a purpose. And all we need to do is trust the God who created us and allow Him to show us that purpose for His glory. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray and then we'll get to the service today.